Well, as I talked about last week, as we talked about being lights in this world, shining brightly, this is kind of the next uh, uh, springboarding off of that, is being mission-minded. So the reason why I wanted to talk about being mission-minded is because we have to determine and think about what we are actually here for as a church. And particularly in American culture, somewhere along the lines, we went from the members of the church serving the church and the community and serving God to somehow we have these churches that are all about serving the members, where it's more important to have some sort of function or program than it is to actually reach out into the community and tell people about Jesus. It's about people are going to church to see what they can get instead of going to church to grow and to learn and to see how they can serve God. So the question is, we have to ask, and what, is, what are we here for? What, are, what is our purpose as a church? What are we supposed to be doing? And it's really simple. The goal, the purpose of everything that we do in this church, no matter what it is, is to be a place where people can come and meet Jesus. And everything that we do is either to bring them in so we can share Jesus with them, or that we can go out and share Jesus with them out out in the world. Our whole purpose, our whole point of a church, and everything that we do is always centered on Jesus, that he might get to know somebody they didn't know before, and that they might come to know him. And even our, our, our mission statement as a church, the evangelize, equip, empower, that's what it points to. Evangelize the first step. To evangelize the lost, to tell them about Jesus, they might get saved. The next step is to equip them or to disciple them, to to grow them up in the Lord. They might become mature Christians instead of of, of wishy-washy baby Christians. And then the next step is to send them out, to, to empower them to walk out in the calling which God has placed on their life. The whole purpose of this church is to win people to the lost, Build them up and then send them out to win people to lost so that they get built up so they can be sent out to win people to win the lost so they can be built up and then get sent out to win the lost so they can be built up to be sent out and win the lost. The whole purpose of everything we do is to is to share Jesus with this community. That's where our primary focus is is here in Marana to share the gospel with those in Marana. Now, Jan just recently, have any of you guys read the Left Behind series? I know some of you. Anybody else read them? I never read them before. never seen the movies, none of that stuff. And so Jan had the books, and I began to start reading them. And I was actually shocked at how much of an impact it had on me in the sense of, like, even questioning my own self. Like, am I doing all that I'm supposed to be doing? Am Because in this book, if you guys don't know what it's about, it's about the rapture. All the Christians are taken up to heaven in a blink of an eye. And their, their clothes are left right where they were standing and their fillings and their teeth and pins in their legs and everything that's not them got left. They were gone. Women were giving birth. In the middle of giving birth, the babies were being called up and disappearing into heaven. And it was in a blink of an eye and it was an instant. And what I thought was crazy is that as you read into the story a little bit, there's this pastor of a church who's still behind. He got left behind. And he says, he says, you know, I've made a grave error. I've been living my life, you know, on the outside. It looked like I was serving God on the outside. It looked like I was doing the right things. But behind closed doors, I was kind of doing whatever I wanted. It's like, and I've made a grave mistake. And he says, at that moment, he said, I've made a decision that I'm going to never be ashamed, never be afraid to share the gospel of Christ with anybody. As a matter of fact, that's my entire mission is to share with everybody. I will not be afraid and I will not back down. I will share Jesus with whoever that I come into contact with. And I'm reading this and one, I'm saying, you know, this is a pastor and obviously it's a fictional story, but I imagine this is going to play out true in, in many cases. And it made me start thinking about like, even evaluating my own life. Am I, am I just going through the motions or am I really serving God? Am I doing all these things? And if, if, if nothing else, it's good to just keep that in the forefront of your mind. Am I, is this just, uh, am I really a Christian or do I just play one on Sunday? And the, the thing that I was thinking about though was is that this man said, I've made a grave mistake. I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm going to share with everyone who will have it. And I began to think, we need to make sure that we have that mindset now before it's too late. That should be our, our mindset now is to share the gospel with everyone who will, who will hear it. 
Because it's so important that they hear it. So today as we press forward, I just want to look at why being mission-minded. And probably, I don't know how, does everybody know what we mean by when I say mission-minded? Does everybody know what that phrase means? Mission. It's, in Christianity, it's a simple thing. Our mission is to share the gospel. So the mission field is everywhere we're sharing the gospel. So when I say being mission-minded, I mean is that we are mindful of, of the Great Commission, the mission that we've been given is to share the gospel and have that at the forefront of our mind. And today, we're going to look at why being mission-minded is so important. And then also, we're going to look at three areas briefly where, where we need to, as a church, be mission-minded. And one is we need to be externally mission-minded. And what I mean by that is, for instance, when we give to the work that's being done in Iraq. That's, it's not local. It's not here. It's not something that we're physically involved in, but we are supporting that. The next thing we're going to look at is, is uh, corporate mission work. And that's where, as a church, we're doing different things. And those are like when we do our, our, our Easter outreach, or we just did the outreach with, with the Fall Festival with the Springs Church. And we just did that uh, worship concert that was here that we held at the church and invited people to. That's kind of the co- stuff we're doing corporately. But the thing that I want to impress the most, is, and we, we, when we get there, is that individual and missionary responsibility is the most important thing that we have to do as a church is to be individually mindful of our, our duty to share the gospel with those who we come in contact with. So let's go ahead and, and start with the beginning. Why is being mission-minded so important? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first answer to that question, why is being mission-minded important? It's because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. He said, go out into the whole world and make disciples. This is what is referred to as the Great Commission, but the problem is, is in so many churches, it's actually the Great Omission. It's the one thing that we're not doing. We've got awesome worship and light shows and, and all kinds of cool stuff, and the, the kids' church is amazing, and there's, there's a child care facility and, and daycare, and we do all these things, but nobody is actually sharing the gospel with anybody. It becomes the Great Omission instead of the Great Commission, but this is what we are called to do, is to share the gospel. And I realize that when we think about this, it's actually quite overwhelming in a lot of ways. And we're embarrassed and we're ashamed sometimes. And we're concerned, how are people going to react? What are they going to think of us? But I want you to know that you've been empowered to share the gospel. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he says, go therefore. What that means is, is all this authority has been given to me, and by extension, I'm giving it to you. When you're going out in my name, you have all the authority that I have. He says, go out, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has all authority, and he's delegated that authority to us. And Jesus, we recognize, gets his authority from God, whom there is no higher authority. And Jesus gets his authority from him, and then we get our authority from Jesus, which means there's, there's nothing in between. There is no other person on earth that has greater power and authority than Christians because his power and authority has been delegated to us. And Jesus, he exercised his authority to teach. And he exercised his authority to heal and to cast out demons and to forgive sins. Now, I recognize that we don't personally have the authority to forgive sins, but we have the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins because that's already been taken care of in Jesus. So we have that same, we have the authority to teach about Jesus, about the gospel. We have the authority to heal people. We have the authority to cast out demons if that's what needs to be done. And we have the the greatest authority that we have is to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And then it goes even more than that because we're not just called to make converts. We're not just called to, to try to quickly make them believe they're forgiven, but instead to build them up, to grow them up so that they can do the same thing. And there's a lot of reasons to, to get mature in the Lord. 
One is because we want to be effective as Christians in this world, but the primary reason is so that the devil doesn't steal what you have away. If you're not mature in the Lord, if you're not growing, if you're not walking in Him, it's so easy to be distracted, to be pulled away. And to have your, your, your salvation stolen away, your faith broken. And being a disciple is, is really no more than being an apprentice. Apprentice. We just walk alongside other mature Christians as they train and teach. We spend time in the Word and we learn to do what they're doing. You know, this morning as we were in the prayer meeting, we had about, about six or so people in the prayer meeting. And I keep thinking, I'm like, man, we have, we were averaging 33 people on a Sunday. So many of them are kids I recognize, but usually there's 22 to 24 adults here on a Sunday morning, but I've only got six adults in the prayer meeting. That's part of being a disciple, is walking out in the Lord. And I would encourage you to get in there. You're like, Pastor Wayne, I don't even know how to pray. I wouldn't even know what to say. That's a great place to learn. You're going to hear mature Christians praying in the Lord, and you'll have your opportunity to learn and to grow. Being a disciple is just walking alongside mature Christians and learning how to do it yourself so that you can walk alongside others. And I would encourage you, even if you're a young Christian, an immature Christian, if you just got saved yesterday, start pouring into somebody's life anyway. Because you can be a blessing to other people just with the little bit that you know. And the truth is, every, every, almost every American, let alone Christian, knows more about the Bible than a lot of people in third, third world countries. We've grown up with it our whole life. Some of it's a little discombobulated and, 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 and out, of, out of place, but the truth is we know more Scripture than, than most third world countries, even pastors in third world countries. When I was in Africa, we were hearing stories of pastors. They were, they were pastoring a church where a congr- some sort of denomination came in and smacked them on the butt, called them a pastor, and took off. And they're pastoring a church, and they don't even have a Bible. They have like a couple notes, but they're doing the best they can, sharing, because they got touched by God, and they're going to share the gospel. And we can do that. One of the, the, the funniest stories I heard was someone from Praise Chapel. He was a... Uh, uh, if you know much about Praise Chapel's background, they're just a bunch of, most of them are just a bunch of ex-Mexican gangsters living in L.A. They started in, in Los Angeles, and they, they, were, they were living the life that you would imagine of that. And, and, and there was this one guy who's a pastor now, I think is, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's pastoring one of the bigger churches now, and he tells a story about when he got saved, they were out doing street ministry. The, they would drive around with the bullhorns and stuff, and he got saved. And uh, as soon as he did, the, the, the pastor there said, all right, meet me here tomorrow. You're going to come out. So he's like, all right, I'll go with you. And he comes out, and they're driving around again. And then, then he hands him the bullhorn, and he's like, what do you, I just got saved yesterday. He goes, he goes well, were you, were you actually saved? He's like, yeah, I think so. And he says, has your life been changed? And he's like, I, I think so. He's like, well, were you doing the same stuff you've been doing two days ago? He's like, no. He's like, well, tell people about that. He'd been saved for less than 24 hours and had him on the street with a bullhorn telling people about the love of Christ. You can be touched by God and not know everything. And I would encourage you to keep spending time and learning and growing so that you're not deceived. But if you can share what's happened with you because there's one thing people can't take away from you. When they say, how do you know you're saved? You can say, I was there. It happened to me. I know what happened. Amen? The other thing that people are going to say is, oh no, Jesus was talking to his, 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 his disciples, the, the twelve apostles. This isn't for us. But let me just show you a couple things in scriptures that actually show that this is for us. In Acts 6, 2-6, through 6, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven good men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and the Pro- a proselyte of Antioch, and they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. So this is the twelve apostles calling in the disciples. They pick out seven men that they liked. They laid hands on them. They prayed, and they sent them out. 
And we hear about a couple of them a little bit later on. In Acts 6, 7 through 8, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is the same Stephen that gathered, and they said, You're going you're to serve tables and wait tables. And then he goes on from that little ministry, from that starting point, which would encourage you that there's, when you want to get involved in the church, get involved anywhere. That's where you can step up and grow. And if you're faithful and little, God will let you be faithful and much. And we know the story of Stephen as he went on. He begins doing great signs and wonders. And then we find out later that he was, he was uh, the, Paul held the jackets of those who stoned Stephen to death as he was ministering the gospel powerfully. And he's recorded in all of history, and he made a difference. But he was out there preaching the gospel, signs and wonders, the whole works, the stuff that he's talking about right here. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was just a disciple disciple that said, you know what, I'll go ahead and serve some soup. I know it doesn't seem like a glamorous job. I know it doesn't, I'm I'm not going to make the papers because I'm a hero, but I'm going to serve God however I can. And then Philip it's the next one that I want to point out from this group in Acts 8, 4 through 6. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, and when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Philip, went, and this is not Philip the apostle, this is Philip that was just in that group of seven, who was later referred to, he starts out as, is Philip the guy they called to serve soup? And then we hear him as, as Philip went down to Samaria and he's preaching. He, later on, he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. But he goes out there and he's preaching the gospel. He's, sharing, he's fulfilling the Great Commission. And he's performing signs and wonders. And he wasn't an apostle. And we have that same authority given to us. It is commanded of us to share with this world. In Romans 13, 10 through 18, it says, That it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, when I was just talking about the Great Commission right now, some of you might be thinking, man, Pastor Wayne, this seems a little bit aggressive. This seems like, I mean, what about this idea of that we let people make up their minds for themselves? What about this, we, this idea that with our kids, you know, we're going to let them grow up however they want and, and they can make a decision for themselves. And now we don't want to offend people by preaching to them and by ministering to them. This seems really aggressive, Pastor Wayne. Well, the reality is, is the next thing that we have to understand is, one, we were commanded, two, there is a need in this world for salvation, for people to be touched by Christ. If you read this, these, these, these scriptures right here are all quoted from multiple places in the Psalms and the Old Testament. But if you go, it, it doesn't paint a good picture. And the, the number one that we point out is, none is righteous, no, not one. So here's the deal, church. If you really believe what the scripture says, It's the word of God. If none is righteous, no, not one. And you believe that Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of the entire world. He died that they might have everlasting life, that they might be saved, they might not have to go to hell, they might have heaven on earth here. If you believe those things, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus Christ? If you believe these things, why would you hide that from them? If you want to show love, even if it irritates them, you have to understand, like, the reason I'm telling you this is because this is what I believe. And I believe, I want more for you. I want you to be touched by God. I want you to have health and wholeness. I want you to go to heaven one day. There is a need for the gospel. And we have a responsibility to share it. And the truth is, is that just as we at one point yearned for something and didn't know what it was and didn't have that hole filled till we finally received Christ, people in this world are walking lost and hurting right now and they have that same need, they have that same void that we had and they want it to be filled. And the evidence of that is they're looking for it in all the dumbest places because I was there too. They're looking for it in drugs and alcohol and girls and cars and stuff and money. They're looking for it everywhere else except for something that's, that's lasting. And that's Jesus Christ. 
And the ultimate level is that we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And if we don't share it with them, who will? If we don't tell them that there's something better, who will? Stephen Curtis Chapman said, In the gospel we discover we are far worse off than we thought, but far more loved than we ever dreamed. It's like you guys ever seen the illustration of, of the, the great chasm between us and God, but they lay the cross across it so we can meet God. We, can, we bridge that gap. That's what Jesus does for us, and he intends to do that for the entire world. And it doesn't matter what they've done. All these things are true, just like they were for us. But God doesn't love us for the things that we've done. God loves us in spite of the things that we've done. And thank God for that. And the truth is, is we think that, that what if these people don't want to hear it? What if they don't want to listen? Can you think about it in your life? There were so many times in my life when I didn't want to hear the gospel. I didn't want to hear it preached to me. I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. I wanted people to go. But one day, I finally listened. They may not want to hear it now, but we, if you want them to be saved, if that actually means something to you, you would share it. And maybe it takes this time. Maybe they don't want anything to do with it. Maybe they, as long as you do it in love and you're not a jerk about it, you're not beating them over the head with the Bible, you may push people away. But the truth is, maybe that's the seed, that's the start, that one day they finally hear it. They finally receive it. Amen? I want to look at this one again. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the next step, and notice, noting that, one, we're commanded, two, there's a problem, three, we have a solution. People are walking around lost and broken and hurting, but we have the solution. And if we looked at the world and all we saw was brokenness and hurt and no hope, that would be the saddest world indeed. Who would want to live in that world? But there is a solution, and Jesus can give people the fulfillment that they're looking for and all those other crazy things. And all of this is because of His great and unimaginable love for us. John fifteen thirteen: greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He gave everything for us. And the truth is, is that now we have that inside of us and we can share it with other people. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show what the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Let me translate that for you. You have Jesus inside of you that you can share with others. And it, Jesus is a treasure. If you won the lottery, not a single one of us would just stuff it in a jar and bury it in the backyard. We'd tell people about it. Or think about other stuff in your life like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't even fathom winning the lottery. That's too far out there. Well, it would be like having a child, but, but hiding it in, in the bedroom and never letting him meet anybody, not sharing that you're, that you're a parent. Can anybody imagine that? This is a treasure that you have that we should be sharing with the world. And the great news about it is it never runs out. It's not like there's a, there's a finite amount of Jesus and if, you know, once we hit that magic number, then nobody else can get saved. That there's no more love to be poured out. It's like when, <clears throat> when uh, was it Elisha or Elijah that poured the, Elisha poured the, the oil into the, uh, the lady kept pouring out the oil and never ran out while he was with her. We have a treasure inside of us that will never run out. And we can share it with others. It's our responsibility to share it with others. It should be your burden to share it with others. I was just talking, we met with, uh, my wife and I met with a couple on Friday night who um, is coming down here and they're, they're part of a church and they're hoping to plant their own church. And we were speaking to them and, and I, I began to, to tell him what I was given as advice when I first was looking to be a pastor. And I was told, if you can do anything else, do it. And that seems like really weird advice. And it seems kind of crazy. 
But what they're getting at is, is that if you can do anything else, do it because this is going to require more than just a passing desire to do it. It's a lot of work. But as I began to think about that question, I began to think about what Paul said. He said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I always thought, too, that's a strange thing to say, too. It's almost like he's saying that if I don't preach it, God's going to punish me somehow. Or he's gonna... But it wasn't about that at all. It was about an internal just desire, and, and he had to preach the gospel. This was such good news. It was such a treasure that if he didn't share it, it would kill him. It would tear him up on the inside. And the truth is, is that shouldn't just be Paul's desire or Paul's heart. That should be each and every one of us. We should have a desire that if we don't act on it to share the gospel, that it will tear us up on the inside. And the truth is, is that people need it, even if they don't realize it. And like I said, if we really believe that Jesus Christ died for them, they, they could be made brand new, that they could be forgiven, and we really believe if they're not, they're going to hell, then how could that, it, it should kill us not to share that with people. Our hearts should break to not share that with people. Amen? And it's available for everybody. Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, we've just talked about the commandment. We've talked about the the problem. We've talked about the solution. Now I want to talk about our role as a church. How do we fit into that? And the first thing I want to talk about is our role in, in what I've referred to today as in external missions. And as a church, we have always, from since day one, had a, had a heart for the external mission field, for the foreign mission field. And what I mean, by, like I said, by these, these, these external missions are the ones that we can't physically be a part of. So right now, you guys know that we are actively receiving and sending uh, financial support to Pastor Jack Harris in Kurdistan of Iraq. We're sending financial support to the, the missionary crisis in Germany right now. And we can't go there. There's, there's for many, and it's for many different reasons. People have different ones. But, but at this point in time, we, we can't make it. But we can still be a part of what's going on over there. And if you've ever wondered about why we're so adamant about receiving, uh, receiving a special offering at the end of the month so we can send off, this is why. Because how are they to call on Him if they've not believed? How are they to believe on Him and who they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right now, there was a need in, in Kurdistan of Iraq, and Pastor Jack and Pastor Lay, they're over there. And then in Germany right now, there was a need. But how would those people have ever heard if nobody went there to preach the gospel to them? How many lives right now we've seen that have been touched? People have come to Christ. They have given their lives. They've had healings happen. They've had incredible things happen. None of that would have happened if somebody wasn't sent. And like I said, the, the reality is, is that we all can't be a part of it. We all can't go. For me personally, I'm, I've been called to lead this church. I can't just, it would be a pretty sad day if I just up and left and went and started doing work in Iraq. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to be here. And many of you in this room are called to be here. And, and some of us, it's just not financially feasible to go. We have mortgages. We have all of those things. That we have to deal, we have bills to pay and credit cards. And if we just up and left, then we wouldn't be being very Christian-like to default on all of our responsibilities. On a side note, debt is one of the, the greatest detriments to being effective in the kingdom of God because you can't up and leave. What if, what if God calls you to go work in Africa or in Iraq or South America and you say, I'd love to, God, I'm all for it, but I've got, I've got you know, $200,000 in debt. So get out of debt as soon as you can if you want to serve God. But truthfully, the reason that we give and support those ministries is so somebody else doesn't have to worry about those very things. They don't have to worry about having a job to, to make sure that they're fed, to make sure that their, their, their stuff is paid for where they're going. 
They've gotten themselves in a situation where they can go, and we're going to support them and, one, make sure that they're taken care of, that they don't have to worry about uh, you know, where they're going to sleep, what they're going to eat. Instead, they can focus on the gospel. And then we're going to invest into what they're, they're spending on the people that they're ministering to as well because particularly in those, those, those types of situations, it's not just about ministering the gospel and sending somebody over there, but those people need help. They need to not only hear about the love of Christ, but they need to see the love of Christ and what we're doing by providing shelter, by providing clothes, by providing food, by making jobs for them to have, for all those things that we do. And that's when we receive money at the end of the month for Iraq and for, for Germany. That's what we're doing. We're making a difference. We are making an impact. And that's how we can participate in those things. The truth is, is that sometimes it can feel like a burden. And in so many places, and I'm, I'm cognizant of it as well, it seems like, especially when I grew up, all you heard was the church just wants money. They just want your money. And I always like what Pastor Mike said, I don't just want your money, I want everything. I want your house, your kids, your car, your wife, your dog. I want everything for the kingdom of heaven. But the truth is, is that there's a need. And we are so blessed. We have so much. Why would we not share with those who need it even more than us? And I want to be a part of, of growing the kingdom of heaven. I want, to, I, I want to be a part of seeing people get saved particularly in places that I can't actually make it to. I mean, if you think about how amazing that really is, sitting in this room right now, you are having an impact in Iraq, in Germany. I mean, that's pretty amazing, if you ask me. And the next thing that I want to talk to is about the, the corporate aspect of it. And this is going to be a long passage here, so bear with me. Matthew 25, 31 through 45. says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and they will place the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. When I was researching scriptures, this is the one that stood out to me the most, is is what we do as a church corporately. Because there are some things that we can do as a church where we have a little bit bigger resources, we have more hands, where we can reach out into this community. And we can be a blessing to them and we can show them the love of Christ. And our goal as a church right now is we have two major uh, events that we do a year. We do our our Easter outreach and we do the fall fall festival, the Halloween outreach. And, And... our goal is as we grow, I want to have four a year. I want to have Easter and, and Fall Festival. I want to do a bigger a production or event on, on Christmas. And then I also need to figure something out for the summer. I don't know what it is, but we'll do something in the summer too, whether we just have a big concert and barbecue in the park. I don't know what it is, but as we grow and we have the resources to do that, we're going to reach out in this community and, and, and let them know that we're here and we care about them and we want to be involved with them. See if they need anything. We've also done, it's probably something we need to do again, but we've, as a church, we went down to the, the food bank multiple times and just filled uh, bags of food for them so that we can be a part of this community. And there are some, some great benefits to doing corporate-style worship. 
And one is that we're visible to the community. We want people to know that we're here because how will they ever make it to our front doors that we can share the gospel with them if they don't even know that we exist? And we want them to, to know that we, we can be trusted. We're not some fly-by-night operation. We're not here, in the, here today and gone tomorrow. We're, we're going to be here for a while. We're always going to be here for this community. And the other pros, we just get to be a blessing to the community. And that's, that's just awesome that we can share and spend time with the people and show them that we love them and that we care for them. And oftentimes, even in these bigger events, we have the opportunity to, to share with people. We have the opportunity to pray with them. But there are also some pretty big cons to these big type events as far as, as outreach is concerned. And one, it's often just too busy or hectic to even have a chance to spend time with people. We really saw that for this fall festival. It was great to be able to be a blessing to all the people in the community. They saw who we are. They all got one of our cards. But it was such a madhouse when we had four or 5,000 people coming through that the best you could do was say, Hi, we're Living Hope Family Church. Come visit. We really didn't have the same opportunity that we've had in the past where it was a little bit smaller venue where we could just sit around and talk with people. It wasn't this big, you know, a just, line, just massively moving line where people were trying to get in and out. So there, there are some, some downsides to these big events is that it's a little bit more difficult many times to minister to people individually. Also, when we're getting these large groups, a lot of times people are coming in and, and they're not really there to hear what you have to say, they're there for the free candy or the free food or the, the whatever that we're offering. And let's be real, that's why we're offering that stuff is so we can get them to come. That's why they're coming so that we might have a chance. But many times, they're not even going to hear it. They just want to get in and out, and, and that's kind of negative. The other, the other con of having these big events is that they're expensive. Stupid expensive. But I think they're worth it because we are making an impact. People are knowing who we are. And the truth is that many times for these big events, it doesn't seem like there's any fruit from these events. You know, we, we looked at, we had the, the different Easter ones. Matter of fact, I can think of all the big events we've had, we've only had two or three people come to the church from those events, and I don't think any of them are still here. As a matter of fact, no, no none of them are still here. But it's always funny, it's always interesting, that right after we do one of these things, a couple days later, they may not have been part of the event, but all of a sudden we'll have new members in the church. God is still faithful to what we're doing. But the truth is, is, is people are seeing the love of Christ and who we are. Whether they come here, maybe they came and, and went back to their old church. Maybe they went to another one. Maybe the whole fall festival, everybody went to the big church. That's fine by me, as long as they're getting saved. But the truth is, is that spiritually... We are seeing fruit. One, we're individually growing as we do those things. You're serving God with a servant's heart, stepping out and doing what He's called you to do. You're growing closer to Him. And I don't know about you, even if, if nothing happens, I love being able to make an impact and, and do something good for these people. Because truthfully, there's so much stuff that's not good right now that it's, that it's awful. I mean, I think it's great that even if we, we didn't see any salvations that night or we didn't see anybody really visit, I think it's great that we had the opportunity to provide a safe place for kids to go and, and have a good time on, on Halloween. So we will continue to do these sorts of things. We will continue to reach out in the community because the truth is, whether they recognize it or not, every time that we see these people and we feed them, we clothe them, we interact with them, we, we love on them, we're, we're doing it to Jesus. Amen? And we're going to continue doing that. And we're going to continue to try to grow and have more resources and do even more. But as we get going now, the, as we get to wind this message up, is I want to talk about the, the most important part of being effective in the mission field. The secret to being mission-minded and effective is with our individual ministry. John 1, 43-46 says, And the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, this one's Philip the Apostle, and said to him, Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. 
If we want to be effective in the mission field, if we want to see people's lives change and get saved, if we want to see our church grow so that we can have more resources to do the bigger things, we need to take a cue from Philip. Philip just found out about Jesus. He said, I'm going to follow this guy. And the first thing he does is he goes home and he goes to his brother and says, hey, come look who I found. I found the Messiah. I found the one that's written about in, 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 the, in the Scripture. And then just like somebody, like, what are you talking about? What, you, what, what good can come out of this? We have similar situations like that when we begin to tell people about Jesus and they don't want to hear it. How can that be real? They're just all hypocrites. All, you know, what, what is being a real Christian like? Come and see. We have that, that same attitude. Be excited about Jesus, who we found, and let's share it with our friends and family. found an amazing treasure and he didn't want to hold it back he wanted it to be shared and when people want to know if it's really as good as you say it is that's our answer come and see can god really do all those things come and see can god really heal people come and see can god really uh, fix relationships come and see can god really take my guilt and shame away come and see and he can and he will And this is how we can be effective at winning the world. And it doesn't have to be super difficult. If you're not not real confident with with sharing the Scriptures, just invite them to church. We'll tell them about it here. Or tell them what happened to you, what's changed in your life, what is different now. Last study that I read said that 63% of people would come to church if invited. And that's down from a few years ago, but used to be much higher, like 80 or 90%. But now it was still more than half of all people, if we would just invite them, would come to church. And the study said that they are more likely to attend if they were invited by a friend or a neighbor. The truth is, is that people are more likely to receive the gospel from someone that they have a relationship with. That's the primary reason we have all these events to actually to get to know people is because that may not be effective administering the gospel right away, but we're building relationships with the community. We're building relationships with people. And they're more likely to hear what we have to say if they know us personally. And we can be more effective. That's why you're going to be much more effective at reaching the people that you know than I would be at reaching them. Because you already know them. They trust you. And you're going to be much more effective at sharing. And they're going to be much, if, if I were to meet somebody that you know on the street and invite them in the church, they'd be like, who's this guy? I don't even know him. And the chances of them coming are a whole lot less than you saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? And we can be effective in that way. And we effectively increase our sphere of influence on this city because it, it multiplies out exponentially. I can't reach everybody. There's so many people that I can't reach that you can And there's so many people that I can reach that you can and vice versa. And as we keep spreading out, we're going to have such a big, we're going to have such a big impact in this city and our friends and our families. We'll just share it and just invite them and stop being afraid and ashamed. And what are they going to think? The truth is, just keep that in the back of your mind. If I really believe this stuff, I want them to know about it. I want them to have security, to have hope to have an assurance of where they're going when they die. This isn't the only instance of somebody hearing about Jesus and sharing it with others. Luke 5, 27-29, it says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And let's talk real quick about who Levi is. He's a tax collector. And it doesn't say specifically he's not really a good guy, but statistically... He's probably not a good guy. He's a tax collector. Most tax collectors were skimming off the top. They were stealing from people. They, were, they weren't really good people uh, because they had the authority of the Roman government. They could get away with whatever they wanted to, and, and they did. It says, and after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Now, this is an interesting story because, like I said, Levi's not really a great guy. He just got probably challenged by Jesus, and he said, you know what? I'm going to make a change. Instead of doing what I've always been, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
And what's the first thing that he do? Did he go and hide from his friends? Did he go and, and try to duck? No, he throws a big party, invites all of his other crazy friends around and says, hey, listen to this guy. I got something for you. And he throws a party. And it's, it's a tax collector and a bunch of other tax collectors. It's probably not a party we think Jesus would attend. But Jesus was still there. Jesus will meet people no matter where they're at, no matter what they're going through. Jesus loves them so much that he'll meet them wherever they are. But the truth is, is he loves them enough to not leave them where they're at. And we saw a radical change happens in Levi, and the first thing he does is invites his friends to tell them about him. And that should be the, the same thing that we're doing as well, is sharing with, with every person, every chance that we get, particularly the ones that we have relationships with, because we can actually get them to come. And you never know how you're going to impact somebody. Even if they seem like they're rejecting what you have to say, you may have started something. Like I said, I remember so many times I rejected the gospel, and finally one time I just said, fine, I'll go. Matter of fact, I was almost, in, in some ways, I feel like I was, I was almost guilted a little bit in going down to Rocky Point for the men's retreat that I went. They've been asking me to go for a couple years, and finally I'm like, fine, I'll go. And God touched me down there. I was first hesitant and resistant. And instead, God spoke to me in such a way that I never imagined. I got, I got well and truly saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, talking another tongue, the whole thing. I went from not wanting anything to do with it to just being radically changed by God. And that's what started my journey to get me here today. But how many years did I resist and push away? But Pastor Mike just kept trying, kept going, kept pushing. Finally, I said yes. It's a story about Philip Smithers. He's the one that runs Overland Missions. He swears up and down. He was tricked into getting saved. He was at a big youth conference. He was, he was young. He was at a big youth conference. And instead of asking at the end of the service, the, the pastor there didn't ask who here would like to get saved. He said, who here has not been saved? So Philip was just honest. He's like, I have, I'm not saved. And they said, everyone that raised your hand, come up to the front. And they got them all, <laughs> all get saved. And now he runs Overland Missions, which is a big missionary organization in, in uh, uh, Zambia where I, where I went and actually did some work for a while. And, uh, but that's how he got saved. He said he, he always jokes that he got tricked into being saved. He just said, no, I just answered that I'm not saved, not that I wanted to get saved. But God touched his life. And think about in your life how many times somebody tried to share with you and you wanted nothing to do with it, but you're here today. At some point, you finally said yes. So don't give up on people. You never know how you're going to impact them. You see, winning people to Christ is an infinitely valuable thing in itself. Edward Kimball was a shoe shop assistant on a Sunday school teach, uh, and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. And he spent hours of his free time visiting the young street urchins in Chicago's inner city trying to win them for Christ. And through him, a young man... A young boy named D.L. Moody got saved in 1858, and Moody grew up to be a preacher. In 1879, Moody won to the Lord a young man by the name of F.B. Mayer, who also grew up to be a preacher. And Mayer won a young man by the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. And Chapman, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. As an athlete evangelist, Sunday had a, held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was so successful that another evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham was invited to Charlotte to preach. And it was while Ham was preaching that a teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. All that started years ago with just one person being one to Christ. You never know the impact that you're going to have. You never know the difference that you're going to make by sharing the gospel with somebody, even if it seems like they rejected it. You never know when you get to heaven, you're going to find out all the lives that you've touched and people that are there because you had the courage to say that Jesus loves you, even if they rejected you. And the truth is, we need to remember that when we share the gospel, they were not, they're not rejecting us personally. They're rejecting Jesus. And the scripture says that it's going to happen. So be prepared for it, but don't ever stop. Amen? We'll end here. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful. 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is a world of people around us that need to know Jesus. The Tucson, Marana area is one of the most unchurched areas in the nation. And I know that seems weird because we seem like there's churches everywhere, right? You see churches all the time, and we got one right around the corner from us. But the truth is, if you go back east, there is 61 people, I think it was 61 people to every church. Not 61 Christians, 61 people to every church back east. You come here, there's 1,400 people to every church that's in Tucson. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of, there's plenty of people that don't know Jesus and need to come to know him. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, which sometimes is hard to understand because it seems like nobody wants to hear about Jesus. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not saying that from experience. We're saying that from assumption. We don't really know if nobody wants to hear about Jesus because the truth is we've never really shared Jesus with anybody. But the reality is that Jesus said the field is ripe unto harvest. That means that, that even if it doesn't look like that, right now people want to know who Jesus Christ is. They want to have the same hope, the same solidness, the same foundation that you have. They want to be assured that there's more to life than this and that there's someone that loves them unconditionally. And that's Jesus. And he wants more for them than they've ever had. And we can share that with them. And Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. I want you to know right now, this is something that we should be praying constantly. That God would send people to win people. And the great thing about this prayer is I guarantee you, that if you pray this prayer, that it will get answered. I can 100% guarantee you that God will answer this prayer if you, if you pray it. You might not like the answer, but He will answer it. Because the truth is, when you pray for this, you're the answer. You're the laborer to go out into that field. If you pray to have this, God will begin to place a desire and burden on your heart for the, the, this community, for the people that are here. And if you think I'm crazy, like they don't seem like they, they, we should be preaching to them at all, that you know, I don't really feel the same way, begin to ask God to let you, let you see people the way that He sees people. Let your heart be burdened like His heart. Let you be like Paul that says, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So let's, as we end today, let's, let's resolve in our hearts to be a people who are serious about the mission field, about the Great Commission, locally and externally, not just in foreign countries, but right here in our own backyard, the neighbor that lives right next to you that you've never, ever said anything to. Let's be serious about it, about the Great Commission. And I promise you that if we will be serious about it, we will get to be a people to see lives changed to see people that have no hope get to have hope, to see people that are broken become whole. We'll get to see miracles happen if we will just begin to share the love of God at every opportunity that we have. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.